Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap. A lot of people are familiar with the story of the great Army football teams of the mid-1940s. The teams in particular of 1944, 1945, and 1946. Coached by Red Blake and led by the back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners, Mr. Inside Doc Blanchard and Mr. Outside Glenn Davis. Those were some of the greatest college football teams ever and some of the most celebrated college football teams ever. A lesser-known story is the 1944 Army basketball team, which was undefeated and is the subject of a new book by Jim Knowles, a historian slash attorney and a West Point graduate himself from the class of 1990. The book is Undefeated, West Point's Perfect Season 1944 from Basketball to Battle. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show, Jim Knowles. Jim, thank you for being with us. Oh, Jeremy, thanks for having me. Glad to be on the show. Jim, you graduated from West Point, as I said, 46 years after this 1944 basketball season. You've written about sports. You've written about military history as well. What led you to this subject exactly? Well, I've got to admit, I was filling out my office uh, bracket at at, uh, March Madness not too long ago, and it just caused me to think, gee, I wonder if West Point ever made it to the tournament. And I found out with a little bit of Googling around that West Point had never been to the NCAA tournament. In fact, if, if I believe they are one of the four original Division I teams that have never made it to the tournament. I believe that includes St. Francis, perhaps, and then Citadel and William and Mary. Um, there's a little caveat to that, which maybe we can talk about later. But anyways, they'd never made it. And, you know, so it was sort of a an unhappy distinction. Not even when Kevin Houston was playing, and he was one of my favorites. He was he was around your time. That's right. He was there when I was there. And he led the nation in scoring. Yeah, yeah, a great guy. And boy, a fun player to watch. But that's right, even not with him. And so... I thought, I saw, well, we'd never made it. Now, they'd been to the NIT a couple of times, but had never actually played in the, in, the, in the tournament. Not even Bob Knight got them to the NCAA tournament, you're saying? Well, that's the thing. I understand that they were invited one year under Knight's tenure, but he thought they had a better chance in the NIT, so he turned down the NCAA went to the NIT, and, and, and West Point lost in the first round. <laughs> These things happen. But um, anyways, West Point had never been in, and that caused me to take a look back at at some of the the records just to see, well, you know, did they ever come close? And I came across this great run they had in 1944 and 1945 when West Point in 1944 was undefeated. And I thought, well, sure, there must be a story there. Why would they have not gone and played in the NIT or the NCAA tournament then? And that was sort of the genesis. That that question and then a little digging around was the genesis for the book. What made this team special? What 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 was the key to its success in that um, 
that remarkable year, 1943-1944, they're playing basketball as Dwight Eisenhower is in London planning the invasion of Northwest Europe. Um, So much is going on, obviously, with the world at war. What what made this team special? To me, it was special because this team had been 5-10 and the previous year. So they've they've gone from really struggling and there were lots of good reasons for the team to be struggling back in the 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 1943 season but what happened was that um, down at Fordham a coach named Ed Kelleher found himself without a basketball team when Fordham shut down its basketball program for the duration of the war and Ed Kelleher was recognized as just, I mean, he's he's sort of a forgotten character these days, but he was recognized back then as just one of the deans of, of, of college basketball. In fact, he was the president of the college basketball association, college basketball coaches association. I'm probably messing up the title precisely, but he was the the president of the association um, back then for for two years. So he was a really well-respected guy had coached at Fordham for something like 20 years and all of a sudden, he found himself without a job in the uh, the summer of uh, of 1943, and West Point scarfed him up. So they brought up Kelleher to West Point to be the coach, and Kelleher just institutes a a very tough, fast paced, fast break um, offense coupled with just stifling defense, and that's a huge factor in it. The other part of it is I think he just had West Point had some great athletes as starters on that team. Um, the three fellows that I profile who were seniors and then two um, underclassmen um, who actually played who were football players as well, um, Doug Kenna and Dale Hall. So a, com- a happy combination of a great coach and some great athletes all coming together. We're speaking with Jim Knowles. He is the author of a new book, Undefeated, West Point's Perfect Season, 1944, From Basketball to Battle. And you mentioned uh, the focus on a few of these players uh, who were playing for Kelleher, 1943-1944, when there were at that point what, about 10 million American men in uniform, uh, women too, but at one point, by the end of the war, 12 million Americans, uh, in uniform fighting World War II, uh, and, and these guys, the seniors know what awaits them, uh, when they graduate. How did that play out during the course of the season as, as they've got basketball to think about and, and they know, um, they know that as soon as they graduate and they're commissioned as second lieutenants, they're going right into the war. One thing is you've got to go back and, and remember that these guys were plebes. They were freshmen at West Point, entered in the summer of 1941. So they were plebes when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Because they skipped one year. They were put on an accelerated graduation program. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They were. These guys were originally the class of 1945. So I think a big I think that's something to keep in mind here. One, they experienced hearing about Pearl Harbor while plebes at West Point. And I mean, some of their, not, none of the fellows that I talked about, but, you know, many of these people had, uh, many of these cadets had parents, dads who were in the military, some in the Philippines, some at, some at, uh, at uh, Schofield Barracks in, in Hawaii. 
Um, so it was very real to them, particularly given what they had signed up for. That was obviously part of the deal. Now they had gone from being a cadet in peacetime to a cadet in wartime. That was an aspect of it that I think follows through. Like you mentioned, their class was accelerated to graduate a year early. And I think even as they were going through that final season in uh, 1940, in, in the early 1944, you know, they had former teammates from, from their, their team that were already overseas fighting in the war. So I think it was very, very real to them. Um, well, I think, well, in, I'll add this. One of the, the neat things about uh, that, I, that I, I came across while researching the, the book was that the, the commandant at West Point, the second in command, the one responsible for military training and discipline, had to make an announcement to the, uh, to the cadets uh, you know, the day after Pearl Harbor that you know, they all needed to knock off this conversa- these conversations about resigning and enlisting to go into the fight. I mean, so I think these guys were ready to go and wanted to go. And, uh, and uh, you know, that, that time was coming sooner than any of them perhaps anticipated. And this is John Eisenhower's class, too, the son of Dwight David Eisenhower. Yes, I was, yeah, yeah, I was hoping you'd, you'd, you'd mention that. That's right. One of their classmates is John Eisenhower, who's dead. And graduation day happened to be June 6th, 1944, correct? Bless your heart, Jeremy. You have read the book. Good for you, <laughs> sir. Good for you. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I uh, <laughs> thought that was one of the neat things about the, the book. Uh, another little thing that came up was just how um, these these cadets are grabbed. They, they got a classmate, John Eisenhower. Another classmate is marrying Omar Bradley's daughter. Um they're all graduating on June 6, 1944. So as they are forming up for their graduation parade, the news is breaking out all over the world that John, their classmate John Eisenhower's dad is uh, is uh, overseeing the Allied invasion of Normandy on D-Day. But, of course, that, that skips up ahead through uh, the, the season. By that point, the season's over. Jim, what happened? what happened to these guys? Um, not just the seniors who graduated in 44, but those who would graduate the following year when the war was just about when the war had already ended in Europe, but was um, still raging for a few more months in the Pacific. Yeah, well, I, I really, um, really focus on the, the three fellows who graduated. So you had three of them. Um, Ed Crystal was from Minneapolis, Minnesota. He was the team center. Big Ed Crystal, they called him. He became an artillery officer and joined the 65th Infantry Division and was sent to Europe. Um, Eventually, the the 65th Infantry Division became part of Patton's Army and participated in that great sweep. Third Army. Yeah, Third Army. Thank you. Third Army. Um, um, Into uh, uh, Germany and then down into, into Austria at the end of the war. So that was Ed Crystal. Then you had... Jack Hennessy, who was with the 70th Infantry Division, and he was probably the he and his and a couple of his classmates were the, the first guys to to get to Europe out of this group. They ended up getting dispatched to uh, to France and falling in the lines on the southern flank of the Battle of the Bulge in December of 1944, and you know fought through some of that brutal winter fighting um, south of the, of the Bulge. And, and then you finally you had Bob Foss in Courtney Hodges' first army. Yeah, and then you had Bob Foss, 
who was one of the air cadets, which was also interesting. I thought an aspect because close to a third of the cadets at West Point at the time were also training to be pilots. So Bob Foss had trained as a pilot. Of course, there was no Air Force Academy at the time, and the Air Force was part of the Army, not a separate branch of the service. That's right. That's right. So these guys were going into the Army Air Forces, and they actually had their wings pinned on on June 5th and then graduated on June 6th. And they actually had a pretty frustrating experience because they were all raring to get into combat, and the Army held the pilots back for a year or so fast did not actually get into combat until the very end of the war when he was flying P-47 Thunderbolts um, off of uh, uh, Ishima, off the coast of Okinawa, doing raids on the Japanese mainland. Um, And heck, he was actually flying the day that we dropped the bomb on Nagasaki, was shot down on that day, um, flying over Japan. August 9th. Well, it's a remarkable story, and and we, we hardly have time here, unfortunately, Jim, to do it justice, but I encourage everyone to read it. It is a forgotten chapter of West Point history and basketball history. The 1944 United States Military Academy basketball season, the book is undefeated. West Point's perfect season, 1944, from basketball to battle. And there's so many, so many layers here, Jim. Um, again, appreciate your being with us and appreciate your writing this book. Certainly. And Jeremy, I'll just jump in if I may and say, I've got to say I've been thinking about the book quite a bit recently because these seniors, after running the table and having that perfect season, did not get to go on and play in the NIT and the NCAA or the NCAA tournaments because the war was on. And the U.S. Army said, you know, given the travel restrictions, we're we're not going to take advantage of this situation. You guys got 100 days till graduation go home, get focused, and graduate. We're not going off the tournament. And I think I think that sort of resonates with what a lot of athletes are, are facing right now. No doubt. No doubt. Jim Knowles, thank you, Jim. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Nah, thank you for having me, Jeremy. Really enjoyed it. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time.